episode of So Here's What Happened at TIFF 2020. And this is Carolyn Talks with Kathy Woods about One Night in Miami. So I'm joined with Kathy and she'll, get, she'll give us an introduction about herself. And then we'll get into our discussion about film and our experience with TIFF 2020 so far and any other films that was interesting to her. So Kathy, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kathy Woods. I am a film and TV critic. I did start my career in music. I covered, you name it, hip hop and punk and small venues and festivals. And then I said, okay, I'm getting too old for this and had an opportunity to start covering um, film and music. I have my own site called Couple Soul Show. Um, and I also am the movie contributor to Mark and Denise in the morning, which is a morning show here in my hometown of Philadelphia. I've also had the pleasure to write for other sites such as Romescla, Awards Watch, The Playlist, and just recently, uh, Film School Reject. So I do a little bit of everything, but it all centers around film and television. Mm -hmm. And so how long have you been in the industry? Because I know you started out talking, um, you're, you're one of your first major um, reporting to but reporting, I mean, a writer was, was um, covering hip hop, right? Yeah, I mean, ooh, God, now I'm gonna date myself. Like, <laughs> really, in the in the '90s, before internet, and, and basically it was like, can you write? Can you read? Okay, well then go and and if you were lucky, you it was you and a cameraman, and you know, and and you know, God help me, but some of those places it wasn't as necessarily credentialed, and mm -hmm. your goal whatever means you had to legally, you had to go get the pictures and get this interview. And, you know, one thing about being short, um, you know, I was always able to work my way through the crowd and being a woman definitely helps. And, you know, just started building friendships and everything like that and, and, and getting, getting the stories. But I think what it helped is it taught me to be more um, aggressive and it taught mm -hmm. me to, you know, speak up for myself and assert myself in order to get the content that I needed. And I think also because it was such a wild, wild west, you you weren't told what you couldn't do. You know, if you could bring a new artist to the forefront and then later on, you know, this was again in the 90s where people were giving out million dollar record deals and you could shoot a music video for $20 million and the label didn't care um, because we were buying music like that. So if you you could get like a mob deep before they became like this thing. Oh, all the more kudos, you know, and, and, and that was the community was so small, you know what I mean? Especially as women. So we all knew each other. We would all be like, okay, this is what's going on. And we also looked out for one another. I mean, one thing I did like, but women would say, okay, don't go by yourself. Are you bringing someone like, watch out for him and that type of thing. And I think that that's really, I mean, especially as I get older, I'm always like, if I go to an event and I see young women and you know, these parties, free booze, the food is not always plentiful. And you, I'm always like, are you okay? Did you come by yourself? Who are you here with? You know, to make sure that, you know, you don't leave people. Cause there's nothing, I think I always like, there's nothing worse if something were to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, maybe I should have just, you know, you see something, say something. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's like the, you know, the, the, the first rule of, of, of club going, you're, you, you came with your crew, you leave with your crew. And if you're not going to leave with your crew, you got to let your crew know that you're not leaving. That exactly. Leaving right. And, and, and definitely 
he, you know, at Southwest, they give you the, the, the Uber code, use that, you know, the Uber Lyft code, use that, you know, and watch out, you know, and, and be about your wits. I know these parties are awesome, but mm. open bar don't mean you got to drink all the booze. For, listen, for sure. <clears throat> so how did you transition from covering hip hop to covering film? Well, what happened was the person that was supposed to come, as it happens in our industry, you know, people don't always um, take things as serious as they should. <clears throat> and I was working for a site, excuse me, called Lyrically Fit. And, and I don't know if the guy quit or whatever. And I got a call and they were like, hey, can you cover, you know, can you go to the screening? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, boom, 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 boom. And then I just started filling in for that person. That person like left and never to be her. To this day, I can't tell you what happened to them. I don't know if they moved or they just dropped out, you know, and I was doing both, but it was just like, it came at the right time because I was aging out of doing like, it's hard to cover. When you cover the music side of self by it's so exhausting. You go into like 10 shows and it's really loud and you're standing in one line and then you're staying in another line and then you got to make sure and in music um just like in film you got to turn it over nobody wants to hear about the show or if there was like a new artist that's buzzing nobody wants to hear about it six weeks later it was just becoming a little bit more you know very um exhausting in terms of that and and very laboring and again you know um just running from venue to venue, like you could, you could cover a show. You could one night there would be four or five things going on, so you know you might start out at eight and you'd be done at like two thirty, and then you still got to get all, all the recap done. So it just was very exhausting. But I do recommend it if you're a younger person that loves music. It's a great way to 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 get into shows. You have to love it. Mm-hmm. It's very like it is a long day. It's not glamorous. Um, and you have to really love it. And you also have to be, trust your instinct. You have to have an eye for like newer acts. And you have to say, you know what? I don't know about this, but something about this feels right. Mm-hmm. You should be here. Or, you know, let's go to the B stage and, and see, you know, I saw, I saw India Ree at Little Fair on the B stage. She was at India Ree. Like it was just a bunch of us. And I was like, she is really good. You know, back then, um, the acoustic stuff was was like the indio indigo yeah it wasn't like you know i mean you know other than tracy chapman but there were black girls doing it but it wasn't like there was something about her that just spoke to me Mm -hmm. i was like i don't know when it's gonna happen because hopefully the label will not mess up or try to make her be something else just the other issue but there's something about her just the way she carried herself and also in a huge festival like that, once she started playing, people, you know, people are eating, you know, doing all the nonsense. People turned and gravitated to her. Mm, no, India Ari, remember India Ari first came up with I Am Not My Hair. And that was, I was I was in Barbados at that time. And I remember it was such a big thing because like, if, yeah, in the Caribbean, like almost everyone has like natural hair or relaxed hair. But it was just the whole, It she felt like honest. And she felt like, and her sound was, so it was very familiar, right? It was it sounded like the soul music that we knew from back then, but then she put this whole she was doing the whole positive 
um, affirmation. And we yeah, have like, like a smile girl in yeah, a good but, way. I say that complimentary. And, and, you know, she had the locks and also, um, I'm like, let her do the thing with the guitar. Like she doesn't need dancers and that, you know, again, everything was such an Uber production. Yeah. Videos back then. Right. People coming like crazy stuff. Now when you think about it, jumping out of helicopters. Yeah. She in the pool. Her own you know? And I was like, don't do that to her. That's the yeah. she is. Yeah, she was doing her own thing. And yeah, everybody was just, uh, I love that. I love that first album. I had the album. I don't know what happened to it. I, and, you know, and Lilith Fair was a great thing. You know, it was all women and had women of different backgrounds. And Queen, Queen Latifah did a leg. And, you know, Sarah McLaughlin, you being Canadian, obviously, she was huge at the time. And, and Jewel was on it. And it was just, but with everything else, I don't, I'm not too sure and they did it because they were saying that women can't sell. Like, you know, you have to be like uh, Britney Spears or something like that. The mm -hmm. women don't sell us well as men. And nobody wants to come see a bunch of women. Well, there's a bunch of women there. There's that. And that's going to actually perfect for our leading to our discussion for uh, 182 Miami because it's a film directed by a black woman. And it's a film about black men and about black history and black, black American history to be more specific and the civil rights era. And... We're always saying we want more, like, there's black women who can make films. They can write films, direct films, executive produce them, you know, do the costume design, everything. And women, black women have always been able to do these things. It's just that we wanted, we wanted more opportunities. You have people like Gina Prince Blythewood and, 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 um, Ava DuVernay and, and Ava DuVernay and all of these women and, and it's, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm able to see more of it now that I'm an adult. And then also for the younger generation coming up, now I was going to be able to have these films. But then also, and I appreciate the fact that, not because I'm an adult and seen it happen, but I'm able to appreciate the stories being told more and the perspective and the work that goes into making these films. Like what, what Regina King does with Mona in, in uh, Miami, I think is, is spectacular. She did something that was very... I, I see the film as a very unique thing because of the way she directs. I love her directing style for this film. And as we, as we, as we know, the film is about, it's a fictional accounting of, of an of a, of a extended conversation that took place before these four individuals. So the film is based on a play written by Kent Powers, mm -hmm. and it stars Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X, Eli Gorey as um, Muhammad Ali, who was Cassius Clay at the time, because this takes place when he won his first heavyweight championship. And it stars Alice Hodge as, oh my gosh, Alice Hodge as Jim Brown. Yeah, Alice Hodge as Jim Brown, the NFL quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who stars as the singer Sam Cooke. And these four men, um, like one of the things I'm always talking about in this film is the casting. Like this casting is spot on. They need to introduce a category for casting directors, and they need to get this film should be nominated and won for this because this casting is like perfection. And and the story is amazing, the conversations, but is these is the actors' ability to just like get into these into these men and into and into who and into how they spoke and into how they walked and talked and and embody them that sells the conversations. That yes, the characters the conversations are amazing as we'll get into that. But it's just there how they just like 
do everything. Like I think Leslie Gono Jr. as Sam Cooke was inspired because like his, we know he can sing, but when he sings at the when he sings at the end, um, like my I cried when I watched that because I just got all emotional. And you and he cries when he's singing the song too, and I was like, oh my gosh, and it's just emotional. And then like Ben um, Kingsley Benadire, like he is he Malcolm X. He is one of the best. That's one of the best portrayals of Malcolm X I've ever seen. And um, like I was telling um, someone else in another podcast that I was that I guess it on, like what separates him and other people who play Malcolm X is like the thing is is like he plays Malcolm X, but he doesn't look like he's imitating anyone else play Malcolm X. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, he plays Malcolm at his most vulnerable stage because he's getting ready to separate. From the nation of Islam, because the portrayals we always have out there is, and, and it's understandable because we think of these people as icons, is as impenetrable, and they're very strong. But at the end of the day, is he's a man, he's a person, and you know you have doubts, and and, and he's very conflicted because the nation of Islam literally saved his life. He literally, um, you know, Elijah Muhammad was practically the father he didn't have. They gave him vision. Everything he has, everything he overcame is because of the nation of Islam. But he is this situation like we all do, right? When we get older, you find out that your heroes are faulted, right? Mm -hmm. So he's trying to reconcile is how does he stay with the, on the one hand, he wants to stay because he really didn't want to leave. He just wanted them to, to take off the veneers and own you know, take ownership that the minister wasn't quite what he said he was. And um, he he was crushed, you know, because he didn't get any support. But then at the same token, he's like, I'm telling all these people and, and the minister this and the minister that, and I know it's not the truth. So I love the fact that he showed us that vulnerability. And he really needed, like in the context of the story, not in real life, but in the context of the story, he needed these men. Because he needed other prominent black people to support him because he didn't have a teammate. It was him, his wife and the kids. And I believe, you know, that's why he was helping Muhammad Ali convert was kind of, which is a part of real history, was his way of saying, you know what, I'm going to help him become a Muslim, he in turn is going to stand with me, that he's not going to turn against me. And it is one of the few things that, you know, that Muhammad Ali said, he regrets not having stood with him, you yeah. know what I mean? That he, he, he kind of turned his back on him, you know? So that's, that is like a real life situation in the, in the context of a play. I love Leslie Odom, like you said, obviously we know he can sing. Like mm-hmm. that's no brainer, but I think people forget. Like when you do a musical, you can't just be up there singing. You also still have to act. We still have to buy into the character. So he's a more than capable actor, and I feel like this role saw showed him in that. You know, showed that he's like, okay, there's a big chunks. This man is not singing, but we're engaged. We're engaged because we understand his frustration, and 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 his frustration not only with the world, but but the other men. And I loved Elder Sedge because again, Jim Brown, like Jim Brown for a portion of the black community here in America is larger than life. Like you can't talk about Jim Brown 
you can't mention anything bad about Jim Brown. And because he is such a symbol of machismo, of athleticism, of um, self, do you know what I mean? Who's not a man, to put it politely, he's not a man to bend the knee. Mm-hmm. And so all of these alpha males in the room, I love the conversation. I love the conversation because, again, I think they all wanted the same thing, but they had different ways to go about it. Yeah, the, the conversation, the way the conversation is structured, it just feels so natural. And it feels yes. like conversations I've had with people and it feels like conversations I've seen people have. And um, like I call it the fly on the wall perspective. It feels like you could have been in the room either as a participant in a conversation or just lit or just like an observer watching. It's believable. Yeah, it's very believable. It doesn't feel scripted. It just like the and like the way they they move from reaffirming each other in certain parts, like celebrating Cassie's win, or um, or Jim or or Jim's like his his um, his progress as an athlete, or even Malcolm X giving a great speech, or 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 Sam performing. Um, at the Copacabana and, yeah. and, on, and on live TV, like they're celebrating each other, but then there's moments when they just get to each other, like they dig just a bit too deep and a bit too personal at some points. And they, they don't turn against each other, but they're quick to be like, you're pushing it, you're getting big. To, and I've had conversations like that where you're talking with someone who's going good, and then they say something and they just, they're like, I'm going to needle you just a bit more. And you're going to be like, dude, you're stepping over the line. And, the way those those things happen feels so natural, and it just and it does. I love the script, and I love how they performed it, and the way Regina directs those scenes. Like I considered the way how the the room that they're the hotel room they're in is structured is like a tunnel, and it feels like they're going from their past into their present into their future, moving through these conversations because the conversation has a direction, and like like you mentioned, like um like. Muhammad Ali saying later in life that he wished he had stepped up with Malcolm X and like, but then you also see why he didn't at that point in time because he was young, he was twenty two. He was young, he wasn't sure of himself. Yeah, the man, he, like yeah, the man that that didn't that chose not to go to Vietnam that was a different man mm-hmm. than when this was happening. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty, and I don't think you can fault him because you know he needed that support from the nation. This guy was a gold medal winner, became the youngest heavyweight champion of the world unexpectedly. Like Mm -hmm. he knew it, but other people didn't. And for him, and then on top of that, you're not going to go ultra black Mm -hmm. because Sonny Liston was not that guy, you know? So it's just, I think it was just a a convert. He needed that backing. And with, with Malcolm, he probably thought, I, I who is just going to be him and I, and I got to deal with all of white America exactly. and the world to, to, to justify who I am as a black man and even more complicated as a black Muslim. Mm-hmm. You're right, because if he had stepped up with Malcolm, he wouldn't have had a community. He would have had Malcolm as support, but he wouldn't have had the community of like the, the, the black Muslim nation, right? And... And as you said, he was 22, he was young, but then also you have to, like, he was ex, like, he was always extremely um, self-assured and arrogant, you would even say. And, like, at that point, I think, like, he was, he was convinced he was right, but then he was also faltering. And 
I think for him to have to make, to to even consider stepping up would have would have mean that he again wasn't sure of the decision that he was making, and he's someone who wants people to see him as who he says he is. Like in the ring, he says, "I am the greatest in the world. I'm king of the world. I'm the champion." And if he d doesn't act like that outside of the ring too, it would seem like a, con a contradiction, right? And I think that's that's conveyed so beautifully in the film because that like, you see these two sides. This man who's super confident in the ring. But then when he gets into the room with these other men, you see how young he is, right? He's like, he wants, he's eating ice cream. Like he is just, yeah. And he, these men are, are not just his friend because, you know, as he's beginning his professional athletic career, Jim's is ending, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So they're in different stages of their lives. Uh, he, him and Jim can talk about that. What it's like to be a, a man on the one hand, white America is like, hey, we love you, we love you. Yep. But as but then you can't go in the house. How can you, you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you reconcile that? Who do you call for that? And they can call each other because exactly. they have all those type of sim similar experience. We also have to remember, like, we always talk about, like, now there's, there's a small circle of successful, like, when I mean successful, I mean, like, Oprah-level Black people, right? Yeah. Like, Oprah can't, you know, as close as her and Gail are, there are certain things she can't talk to Gail about. Mm -hmm. Gail doesn't have, like, as they say, champagne problems like that. But in similar in this case, you know, in, in especially what was happening in the 1960s in this country, who are you going to call that to have the conversation? How do I navigate success? Not feel guilty about it. How do I navigate still advocating for my race without losing my spot that I so worked hard for. How, who do you call? And these men make sense because they're facing the same thing. Exactly. They're facing the same thing, but from different perspectives. Like you mentioned, like for Jim Brown, like the film starts with him going to um, this house um, in, on the island where he's from. And he is this belonging to this old man who is inferred that they're old family friends. So I'm guessing my first thought was that, oh, his mom or his grandmother is probably the maid on this estate, right? And then he goes, but then this this man who's played by Jeff Bridges, you know, somewhere, I'm not, I'm wrong, it's not Jeff Bridges. It's Bo Bridges. It's Bo Bridges, right, one of the Bridges. And, <laughs> and, and Bo Bridges, and the conversation is all genial and nice, and he's offering his support to Jim. He's like, anything you need, I will always be there. Like, you're our hometown hero, but also I know you personally, so I know a great person you are. This he see you're a great investment. He literally does say that. And then yeah. at the end, Bo is um he he tells him oh like Jim is like I'm, he's offering to help him move move your in the house and he gets to the door and like he says straight up quote oh we, you know we don't let niggers in the house that took me aback I know right I legit was not expecting that and it was like oh right yeah that's I'm like yeah I'm like yeah and it's like we know it's we know it's the 1960s it's that yeah. oh you're just like wow. So we're re and he said it so like exactly. oh. so just so I'm like you just got done breaking you know but it does make sense when we're sitting out there on the porch. Mm-hmm. Like you got it. Like it's still boundaries. It's still all about who. It's still about there's still this divide. Like they they love you for what you can do for them, but they'll be like you still gotta know your place. And also with Cassie, it's, like, it's the same thing in the ring. Like the, these people are like you're an amazing boxer, but then like when he won the championship, when he won that belt, he was pointing at the reporters. And the white men in the audience, he's like, I remember you. You told me that I couldn't win. He's like, I remember you. I remember that you said that I couldn't do this. And he was calling on the naysayers. And that's where they have that connection because there's these moments where they're calling out 
where where they're confronted with the racism and the, and the doubt and they're and then they're reminded, oh wait, these people only love me as entertainment. These people only love me as what they can do, which is still something that happens now. Like it's it's exactly what's going on now. Exactly. Like I feel like that conversation is still going on where it's shut up and dribble. And exactly. I do love yeah, and I lo- and I love that um, you know. In the same token, I I I I, I, I kind of understood where Sam's character was coming from hmm. because he's like. I'm not going to apologize for enjoying the fruits of my labor, for wanting to be at the nice hotel. We should have that option. We exactly. should be able to go in there and do the front door. We shouldn't only be able to stay in the Negro part. Mm-hmm. You know, I should be able to play the Copa because if it's supposed to be the best, am I not good enough? You know, exactly. and it's, it's, it's definitely you and you understand it because it's like, why do we always have to limit ourselves to what they will let us have? Exactly. Because you can say, okay, there's something that's the best in black spaces and something that's the white in white spaces. And also because white spaces were deemed to be more worthy at that time, he wanted to be the best in the white spaces because you're trying to show if I'm best in the white space, it can be the best in any space, right? And it's a fair, it's, it's a fair assessment. Like we as writers and journalists, like we want to that same access that white journalists have, right? And it's it's all about the gatekeeping because we're like, if I can make it in this space, that means I'm worthy. And it sucks that we that we're still feel like we have to be competing and we have to still prove our worth, which is also another theme that runs in the film in their conversation. A lot of it is about worth because, um, like you mentioned, for Sam, he wants to be in these spaces, but then there's this really interesting conversation on the roof between him and Malcolm X. And Malcolm is telling him, why do you want to live in these spaces? Why can't you live amongst the black people? You're, you're pandering. And, then, and for the music, he's like, your music is pandering to these people. Your music, where's your soul? You, like, he's essentially saying you lost your soul. The music you're making now doesn't, isn't who you were when you started. And, and then, he, and, but then um, Sam is like, but I'm also making a seat at the table. He's like, I'm, I'm using, I'm, he's like, this so-called pandering, as you put it, is still music. And he's like, I may not be making it to number one in the chart, but I'm, I'm, I own the rights to my own music. I own the Which dividend. is super important. Which, Which is, is super important. He's like, I own it. They don't own they don't, like if He's like, I own it. Therefore, I can control it and decide what happens with it. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing up other artists behind me because he mentions that. He's like, I'm not shutting other people out. He's like, me not being number one necessarily has given me the ability to push others up and to show them where I went wrong so that they can course correct. And he's like, I have my own record label. Like, how many black people have that? And Malcolm is like, but you're still pattering it. And then Sam is like, but sometimes we have to give in order to be able to get up. You have to give in now in order to get more later. And, it, and it is about longevity. It's it's, exactly. it, it's in the, what what did um, Aldous, as, as, as Jim Brown said, he said, we're doing well. And he, I believe I'm paraphrasing. We're doing well and I'm giving money to black businesses. But Sam knows business. And exactly. that's the thing is, he's trying to explain the knowledge that he has is way more valuable. What's the point of me pouring money into a black business if these people don't know how to run a business and to keep it going? Sam exactly. can teach them that. And I think also, you know, Sam was saying, we don't all have to scream bloody murder in order for us to advocate change and in order for us to help our people. You know, financial stability and financial independence is so important too. What what does money give you? It gives you options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we know it. Like it's the healthcare is a perfect example. When you have money, you can go get be in the best hospital, 
you don't have to worry about is is this going to be in care, out of care? You know, you can just go and 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 worry about getting better. But when you don't have money, you're like, oh God, how much is going to cost me? Can we do it for this? So I think I think all of those things are very much relevant in mm-hmm. today and in our conversation. And again, I mean, I think you have four men that want the same thing. They just navigate through the space differently. And I love also that Jim Brown was pushing back and saying to Malcolm, like, you, you're fighting with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Like you're fighting with him acting like he doesn't care because you only know your way, but you don't realize that your way works for you and that's great, but his way works for him. Both of you want the same thing. You're just going about it the different way. Exactly. And and it, you don't have to have the same pathway to get achieve the same goal, which is as you're saying, because like Malcolm, I understood what Malcolm was also saying that he thought that Sam needed to be more vocal in his advocacy, which I kind of did agree because it did seem like there were moments like out of the scene in the Copacabana where that the, the club manager is very disrespectful to him and he kind of just accepts it. But then he lashes out at the at the black bandmate right yeah right. So, he, so he was quite with the white man but he turns around and his vocal with the thing which you like but then sam is also thinking if i lash out no this means i might never get an opportunity again and that was a moment where he could have advocated for himself but then when you look at um, malcolm like he's vocal extremely so and it has painted a target on his back like the whole time He's worried. He's looking. He's always peeping outside windows. Yeah, he's afraid he, every, to take him out. He has two bodyguards outside his door at all times. Every time he sees someone in the shadow, he's wondering, is this person here to assassinate me? So it's like, look at where your voc- look at where you being vocal has gotten you. It's not wrong, but these are the consequences. And Sam is not wrong for not wanting those consequences, right? And or oh, for wanting to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Exactly. Like there's nothing wrong with saying. I like nice things. That doesn't mean that you don't care about your people. You you wear a fur coat and still care about your people. The two are not mutually, you know, exclusive one another. Mm-hmm. And I think again, um, I think the thing that I hope non-black people take away from it because they sure swear, uh, you know, God help us in this political climate that we're in, especially in the United States, they swear. If the other, if the crazy people, as I like to call them now, because it's not even Democratic or Republican, they swear if they get a black person to agree with them, well, look, mm-hmm. black people want this. And it's like, no, we're not monocalyptic. Like, he speaks for, like, you know, I speak for myself, and my point of entry is my experience. You speak for you, and that's your point of entry. Both are valid. I, who am I to say to you, Carolyn, your point of entry, your experience? as a black woman is not valid because it's different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I think this one, I hope, I pray, that white people are paying attention and seeing just because your black friend don't call you out on your BS yeah. or your microaggressions, your racism, the list goes on, don't mean that, that, that these black people over here that are protesting aren't valid. You're just choosing not to acknowledge that because it disturbs what you believe. Whereas this person, your token black friend, for whatever reason, doesn't want to call you on your itch. And I feel like this film shows that, and also they have a lot of love for one another. This was not a, a combative one and thing, which I, two things. Understand that 
we as diverse as a group of people as any other group of people. And we are going to have different opinions and that's okay. But in this particular case, the difference of opinion were love. You know, Jim Brown calling Malcolm out on his BS. But like, mm-hmm. listen, you're not going to play that BS here with me. Like, I know you. Like, I know, know you. You're not going to preach with me. Uh, you know, Malcolm saying to Sam, like, you got to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. And 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 then for Malcolm helping Clay turn to Muhammad Ali and give him the courage to go with his intuition, to go upon this, this, this spiritual journey. And then with Jim Brown being like, why am I killing myself for these people, mm-hmm. for this basic check? And football players back then made no money and took all the lumps. Well, I can go be an action star, make way more money and not be stressed. Exactly. And, and the funny thing is, is like one of the things, the other thing about these conversations is because all these, th- these four men are from very different they're from basically the same backgrounds. Like they grew up in like maybe in different towns and everything, but they still have black upbringing, but they're in different professions, which means they operate in different spaces, but there are different spaces. Their, their knowledge of these spaces gives a holistic view of the black experience because they're like, I can give my experience from as an athlete. I can give my experience as a singer. I can give my, my, my experience as, as a, as a speaker and a, as an, as an advocate. And I can give my, my, my experience as both a football player and an entertainer because Jim Brown, he transitioned into acting. And he, and I, one thing I love is how this, the conversations are structured in the fact that they each rotate. So like, they don't stay in this one room having this large conversation, but they go into different spaces and they, they split up into, into, this, into these separate du- um, units. Like one of the most profound conversations was between um, Jim and Malcolm when um in in the room and mal and like jim gets right up into malcolm's face and he's like you he's like he's basically like you need to stop judging sam and you need to stop judging and you need to stop judging cassius he's like you don't know his struggle and he's like you don't know what it's like in our space you don't he's like you're out there preaching on a stage to all these hundreds of people that's not the same the world we live in he's like you live your 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 view your perception is based on your on what you see and what you and what you exist and even then it's still a, a, a microcosm of what's happening he's like we can give a broad perspective because we are in this world he's like we're traveling all over the, the country we're interacting with these white people in different spaces than what you're doing we're seeing black people in different spaces and he's like you need to listen to us he's like you need to stop judging and thinking you know everything because he's like you don't right he's like you're not being confronted by racism the same way that no, he lives are. in a black bubble he lives in harlem he is surrounded he is surrounded and protected by blackness at all times you know, he has the nation wherever he goes all over the country the nation is there are oh, you coming to town boom he's got like 50 mm-hmm. 100 brothers be, be around them whereas with um like, you know, what Jim is saying, like, it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm Jim Brown. I don't have Jim Brownettes, you know, <laughs> around me and everything like that. And and I think that is a valid thing. You know, it's easy to say when you, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to say when you have many, you're one of many. But when you got to carry the burden, as like I said, you turn into the national spokesperson for black people. Exactly. And, and that's it's not fair. And it's also, it's also, it was like, that was a choice that Malcolm made, right? He, he made the choice. He's like, I'm going to become this advocate. I'm going to become this mouthpiece. 
And that was his choice. They were like, you're trying to make us a mouthpiece when we don't want to be. They were like, we have to make this choice for ourselves, which is also another thing that Cassius was saying. Cassius was saying, I want this to be my choice. I'm going to speak up and speak up when I have to and when I can't. He was like, I can do it in the ring. Because he was like, if I do it in the ring, that's going to be a bait of target on my back. And that's when he also had to tell Malcolm again, like, I'm up there alone. It's just me and the fighter, just me and the boxer, just me in the spotlight. You're in the audience, right? You're protecting, you're, you're protecting in the audience or no one is paying attention to the audience because you're not on the stage. I'm the one who's always in the spotlight. He's like, I have to, I have to look up for myself, which is also something that Sam does tell him too. Sam is like, he's up there fighting by himself. Let, let him determine how he wants to create his space because it's a huge price to pay like you know to become he worked so hard to become heavyweight champion of the world is it is it going to affect his future fights which mm -hmm. in a way it did right yeah. is it gonna you know uh, sponsorship money all of those things that 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 and you know boxing was way bigger than it is now you know what i mean and and people really tuned in like all over the globe for these fights and I just think it's a conversation that he's like, you, you don't understand what I could lose becoming a Muslim. And they're, they're understanding it because they're like, uh, this Muslim thing ain't going to be welcomed too well by these white folks, you know, exactly. look how long um, it took for them, you know, in real life to call him Muhammad Ali. They kept calling yeah. him Cassius Clay, Cassius Clay. And he's like, no, that's not my name anymore. Stop, you know, because they were just, they thought it was like some phase he was going through. But I definitely feel like it is, you know, they were like, you want him to do this, but you need to understand what he's sacrificing to do it. And you need to let him get to this decision on his own, whether it is today, tomorrow, next week. And it can't be because you need it. Because he needed it. He needed him to convert because of the conflict he was having with the nation. So I think, again, I mean, because they know each other. That's what I love. It's like, it's what you said, you know. They called each other on their BS. Like, no. I know. I see you. I know what's going on. I know you need this. So I'm asking you, are you doing this for you? Or are you doing this for him? You know. In reality, he was doing it for him and for, 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 for Muhammad Ali. Yeah. But that's essentially what Jim Brown and also Sam was saying, like, I know what you get out of it, but what is he getting out of it? And don't give me that, oh, he's spiritual and, you know, all that stuff. Now let's, let's get to it. Let's really get to it. And again, I mean, I'm glad that um, Kemp, who wrote the play, wrote the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The voices were preserved because, you know, when they do, you know, when somebody else comes in and, you know, their people, this play has been performed all over the world, right? You know, they're going to be like, what had happened here? What happened yeah. to their voices? What, you know, they get muted. But again, I, getting back to Regina, I do want to say that I think, and this is a compliment, she's a very thoughtful director where she's, and I think it's because she is an actor herself. Mm -hmm. oh, so she tries to give her actors as much as room and freedom to embody and to be their best. And it shows, it shows a lot. I love the cinematography too. I love how this was shot. It's like you said, it's, I felt like I was a fly on the wall listening to a conversation and, and I got to be, go back in time and I got to be privy to a very special conversation. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is I, I, because she is a black woman and she's an actress, 
and she has done directly in the past. All of these things come together to give her the what she needed to make this film. And what makes it so realistic is you can tell that she shot it also from her perspective as someone who's had these same conversations, who's had to determine how do I, as a black woman in these particular spaces, use my voice as advocacy. And then you have to choose when to say something and when not to say something. And I could feel that coming through because it happens so much in the conversations, but it's also in the acting and in the directing. And as a director, the way how she she handles these characters and the way how she directs these men, you can tell where they I can I I will I would love to interview her because I can imagine them having conversations, these same type of conversations as they're preparing for the for the film, as they're doing the table read and going through rehearsal. And Absolutely. that's why I think it also feels natural because like we've had these kind of conversations on Twitter and in person where we talk about these same things, like how do we use, where we, we have to be considered as journalists and as black women in this industry where we have to, we, 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 we kind of like self-regulate and, and, and not censor, but we, are, we, are, we have to be a bit more circumspect in how we say something, when we say and why we say, because we're like, if a publicist reads this, or a studio, something reasons. Does this delight you? Don't have the luxury to fail upward. That's exactly. the thing I always like, tell people, and people go, you know, we know plenty of people that have done crazy, and they keep landing on the publication after publication, and it's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. We don't. We have to, and it's also if we do get our foot in the door, we have to think not that we should have to operate this way, but we have to think about all the women behind us because if we screw it up it might be another 20 years before another black face gets through this door exactly. so we carry all of that weight i mean i i totally agree with you it, it's it's unfair but this is the card that, that we are dealt and i definitely feel like there's something going on right now in my opinion with women directors that mm-hmm. are there's a conversation going on and most of their films where it is they're tapping into a population and conversations that we don't normally see on screen at yes. least not in in that perspective and i like that do you know what i mean no i get and, it. And, and, and i just think it's good and again it's also there's a lot of dialogue in this film but it's not rushed mm, mm. which is really you know what i mean like it's, it, it's not rushed and it doesn't feel too slow because I've what we've seen films that are mainly focused on like conversation. Like there's there's many films that are like one night one like centered on one night and this one event occurred. Like, but this one doesn't feel like that because you're so into the conversations and you're you want to know more, right? Exactly. And then you're like, like, I'm, exactly. I'm like I'm agreeing with everything you said. I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you're like, yeah. you need somebody needs to say it because you were acting crazy. Like exactly. Like. You need to have a seat. You're doing too much. You know exactly. I mean? This is one of those films that I wish I would have seen, and not only in a in a theater, but in a theater full of black people. Like, oh, last year we did absolutely because you know black people are going to talk back to the screen and be like, "That's right. Yeah, he was wild. Oh, yeah, you were being a little bit too militant. You know, mm-hmm. you know we're going to do that. I. This is like if like. I can't even say if ever because like we have to accept that this COVID thing. We, I keep saying that but, when we, that's why I always say when we get our punishment because I have to believe that we are going to get out of our we're going to be together again and we're going to enjoy each other and we're going to have conversation like this in person. I know I hate that. I was thinking that I was like, man, we probably could have gone for drinks and been like, oh my god, did what did you like this? Listen, yeah. had we known, our bus would have gotten together a little bit more when we were at Sundance, but we I thought, hey, we'll you. see another South by, 
I'll see you at TIFF, blah, 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 blah. God, we made plans and God laughs. How naive were we? But that's all I know. I'll I catch you at the next one. Really? <laughs> we, we have no idea. But that's also one of the reasons I decided to do my coverage as podcast because it's just a way for me to, to interact with all of you that, and that I haven't that I'm so I, I'm upset. Seen so it's just like, for me, it's also just like us sitting down in the AT&T lounge or in like the Tim Hortons. I know. they just chatting with the films because these films, a lot of the films, like um, like I was discussing Robin Citizen, like the films that I've watched kind of all have similar themes and that was completely accidental. I only realized it like um, the day before and it was just like, wait, most of these films have like uh, similar themes and similar concepts. So that's one of the reasons I've been podcast just like, so we can talk about these films and listen, just, like, really get into and them. And also, the, every day when the lunch came out in the press room, it was like a... Yeah, like locusts, locusts uh, standing on a field. But it's time I get something to the computer to open up my Google Docs just to at least get the intro going for my review. I, I kid you not, everything that I love. I always seem to sit next to somebody like, so how do we do this? How we do? How do we do that? I'm like, madam, you passed the three people over there with, at the desk, and you came over here to ask me because the one lady, like, she didn't do. You know how we had to do our tickets back in the day when we were seeing things and she was like i don't have tickets i'm like what were you doing when we when we, when we got our accreditation so you know i said no well now you kind of like have to pace it together you know mm. but it was just yeah i miss all like these funny moments where you're like all these people all the tiff crew everybody yeah and you're asking me yeah. So um so just I before... walked in here wanted to type down, you know. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, I'm gonna be a lot more patient because we complain about it, myself included, just as guilty. How about standing in line? I think I'm just I gonna standing in line. I'm gonna open up like, you know, a go I mean I'm gonna open up iBooks, read and just keep it moving. Mm. Yeah, we, I, we I, complain I about oh my god, why are we still in line? It's twelve o'clock, why aren't we sitting, you know? It is, it is, it, all of those things that make the festival um, fun. And also, you know, like running into you and you being like, oh, did you see that? Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. put that on my calendar. And then going to see a film that maybe I didn't plan on seeing and being like, oh, I'm so glad you told me about it. Mm-hmm. Same, same. That's one of the things about Sarah. Like you, find out, you find out about a lot of films that you wanted to see or didn't see and like, people can tell you what happened. Um, so just before we wrap up, are there, um, can you tell me like two films that you've seen that really, that were really interesting to you? Um, and then you can um, give us a shout out about anything that you want to promote at the end. Um, no Man Land. Mm-hmm. Again, a woman that wasn't born in the United States understands the heartland of America better than the people who claim that they understand it. Mm-hmm. Like she just honed in. And again, it's not at all. Um, I thought it was done very respectfully. Yes. And we trust the journey. It's a slow burn, but we trust Ooh, it. <laughs> it is very slow. I'm, I already said, I said, I know it's just going to be us. They're gonna love it. Like my husband would be like, "Oh, fall asleep, wake up, and be like, we're still in this." I just, <laughs> I'll be honest. I love the film, but there were moments I was like, "This film is still." It is very awesome. slow, but the reason we trust the process is because of the director exactly and the actress. We yeah. believe we want to go. With, we want to go with her. Oh God, I love her so much, and you know, we just are like, 
we trust her. Like, you know, some moments we're like, girl, maybe you should, should go live with your sister. Yeah, just you can't, try you out can't, for a little bit. You can't go around with uh, Frances McDermott. She was amazing. And I just love the the people because I'm betting that the majority of those people are not actors. Like, they're people who actually live that nomadic life. Yes, they were. Three, the people, the woman that drew the map for her was, yes. was one of the people that lives like that. And the other people that they met, like when for they sure. were, like at, when once they left the winter and they went to the warmer area, yeah, but it's like freaking Frances McDermott. I mean, she could say we're going to the moon and she might be one of these few people that, or we're going to Mars. She might be one of the few people that I'm going because she's leading the way. Anybody yeah. else, I'm not. But it's that beautiful, and also her films are also beautifully shot. You know what I mean? And I think for me in the film, again, it's a slow burn. It's the quiet moments, you know, where you, this woman, is becoming invisible and it that is happening in this country as it as we speak where people because of this pandemic yes, I uh, have the same closes, thought. I have the same they are becoming misplaced and people want to just dismiss them i i have the same thought that because of this pandemic how much people are actually going to get have to resort to this lifestyle and how many of them are going to have to start traveling around the country because they have no other choice but um, she, again, Chloe, Chloe Zhao is one of those directors I would just love to see, to speak. I, this is the first film by her that I've seen. I haven't seen the writers yet, but... No, the, but it's, it's the same. She under... I, and I, my, just like you want to talk to Regina, I want to ask her, did you drive across America and then... Research? And I think in small it. towns and then just kind of like observed and then this became into your DNA and this... This is why it's a part of your film language. I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's not, it's not, it's not insulting. It's very complimentary. And you, and I feel like she had to have observed something because it's a conversation she's having with mm-hmm. that part of the country. And again, this is not her, this is not her heritage. What drew her to it? So I'm really, I hope I do get to talk to her about it. The other movie would be New Order. Talk about, okay, the one that's a slow burn, New Order is boom, 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 where the working class people are rebelling against the rich, and it's a lot of stuff going on, and it's violent. I do feel like the, the film should come with a trigger warning if you're a person, you know, you've had some trauma and you're not, you're not comfortable with, with violence, but in this particular case, the violence makes sense because it shows you corruption and ruthlessness and all of that i mean at first when i watch the movie i'm going like what in the world is going on but then you're like okay i get it mm. you know and it, again it's, it's 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 in spanish subtitles i know some of y'all feel about that but it's still like that one you're not gonna fall asleep on because you're just like wow oh wow oh really <laughs> you know so and i watched it like late at night here in my home office and I was like well I have to remember like oh my family's sleeping because I was just like what is going on but those two are I think are a good example because they're direct opposite mm-hmm. and you can find me at Katia K-A-T-H-I-A underscore Woods I'm the same person on everything you know how some people are like one two three four backwards <laughs> and no that is who has time for that right and everything is cupofsoulshow.com and you can see all our coverage and we have some other people who contributed and 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 it's just been you know you can see our round tables you know that is a lot of fun yes um, so 
Yeah. I mean, thank you for inviting me. I love talking films. You're right. This was a little touch because I was like, I miss all my movie heads. Because <laughs> you can't talk to your family because your family is like, the stuff that we love is like <laughs> the quirky stuff. Our family's like, my daughter, hand to God, before we finish every screener season, when are the cool movies coming? Like the cool movies aren't up for those awards. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering. I'm interested to see how screener season is going to be like this. Season. Yeah, I was like, the Rock is not coming to the house. Mm. It's yeah. not happening. Yeah. So again, thank. I'm um, Kathy. Thank you so much for speaking with me about One Night in Miami by Regina King. This was. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Like we always have a great time talking to each other. Yeah, we do. And you know what, Carolyn? I have to tell you this too. You know how we have memories. Two pictures popped up on my Facebook. One was, which I felt like was horrible because it was the luncheon at AFCA for Dolomite is my name. And the second one, wait for it. It's you and me when we went to that house in the Beverly, in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Dolomite is my name. And I was like, wow. Oh. Is God trying to tell me something? Is God trying to tell me to hang in when we went with AFCA mm -hmm. during the award season? I'm yeah. Like, is God trying to tell me that we'll all be together soon? Or trying to eat myself because those two pictures popped up. Oh, that's what I love those pictures. That was a great night. That was like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like you know, because I was feeling, I was like, oh, I miss everybody, and those. Then the following day, those two pictures popped up in my memories, and I was like, are you trying to tell us that we're going to be together? Soon? Let's look at it. Let's, let's look at it as a sign. Definitely. Fingers crossed. Um, so everyone, thank you so much for listening to Kathy and I discussed One Night in Miami. And you can find, like as Kathy said, you can find her Twitter, social media, and her work on various sites, like the playlist. And for me, you can find me as usual on comicsbeat.com covering Lovecraft Country. You can find my tip coverage on the butwhythepodcast.com site. And these interviews will be under Carolyn Talks Tips 2020. And for both Kathy and I, as members of the African American Film Critics Association, we've heard because of the pandemic, we can't do like in-person roundtables for events. So we've been doing these special virtual roundtables covering different films and, and TV shows by Black creatives. And when this comes out, you can watch our video, um, our press, our roundtable for P Valley, which is our star show on, and also a new mini series documentary with executive produced by Samuel L. Jackson called Enslaved is on epics and it's about, and it's about the it's about the, what happened to enslaved black people and, and captive Africans when, when who were basically killed during the transatlantic slave trade and, and were and were lost during the middle passage and that I think was released on September 14th and you can find our round table with Africa on their YouTube channel and and also you can find links on the on Twitter which is the Africa which is AAFCA, so you can ask their Twitter account and also Instagram. So you can find Kathy and Ice coverage on there as well. And all the other previous um, roundtables, we've done quite a few roundtables this summer. We've been we've together, tied at the hip since March. We, we have, and we have more coming out. And so look forward to that coverage. And everyone, wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay safe.